1 Peter chapter 5. We will begin reading in verse 1 through verse 5. When you have it, say so. And the word of the Lord declares, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serve as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God, we are humbled today because you have graced us with your presence. You are here in our midst, not because we are so great or so good or so perfect, but because you are all of the above and more. And so, God, today we humble ourselves before you, Lord God, submitting all of our will, all of our desires, everything that we are, we surrender unto you, God. And God, we thank you today for your word that is inspired, Lord God, and may it transform us. Father, I thank you for the challenges that are there for us as leaders, and I thank you to be able to share those among my brothers and sisters, my God. I thank you, Lord God, because we are not above accountability, nor are we supermen or superwomen, but we have been chosen by you to serve your people, God. I pray that we would all, Lord God, have ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church collectively as well as to our individual lives. Make us doers of your word, not hearers alone. And we give you all praise and thanks for this. In Jesus' holy and righteous name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We are going through and we're actually getting ready to conclude in the book of 1 Peter. We have been walking through this book and um, I hope that you have been challenged. I hope that you have been encouraged. I hope that you have learned some stuff because obviously God um, inspired this book to speak to our hearts and to show us some things. And this particular portion of scripture, um, it could be one that I could easily just skip over and be like, I'll just save this for the elders when we get together and we'll have a good conversation just like the four of us, right? And it'll be all good. And so you don't need to hear this, but I want you to hear this because these are the standards that are for the leadership in the church. And as I was praying just now, leaders are not above accountability. Amen. And the book in its entirety was written to the entire church because God wanted the people in the church to hear what the leadership was responsible for. Now, the reason why this becomes so important is because God wants everyone to arise to this calling to not just not everyone's going to be an elder, not everyone's going to be a pastor, but those same standards, as I've said before, that are there for elders, those should be the things that we aspire to as Christians. What I mean is when you look at the, the book of First Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, the apostle Paul is exhorting um, Timothy and he's giving him a breakdown and a list of things. And the one thing that he says is that a bishop must be. In other words, what he is saying is that good Christians make good leaders. Did you hear what I just said? Good Christians make good leaders. 
And so what he is doing is he is breaking down a list of things that Christians should be. And as we aspire and as we continue to, to, to serve Christ and to walk with him in humility, in submission, and in obedience, our lives will begin to reflect more and more of the standards of Christ, who is the highest standard. Here's the reason why I want you to see this, is because many times what we will do is we will come into the church and we will look at the leadership and we will put them in a place, not where we necessarily exalt them by honoring them or anything like that, but we hold them to a higher standard and to a higher level of accountability than we hold ourselves. And so it's okay for you not to pray for a week, not for them. Mm -hmm. It's okay for you not to read your Bible, not okay for them. It's okay for you to sleep in and stay home from church whenever you want to, absolutely not okay for them. Hello, somebody. I know y'all ain't going to give me no amens, but it's okay. And so ultimately what we need to realize is that we as Christians have a responsibility to live righteously before God. And so what God does is in this book of 1 Peter, he is communicating to the church regarding their suffering regarding their hardships, regarding the difficulties and the things that they are experiencing at this time. As I said last week in the weeks preceding, they were, they were going through some real difficult situations. They were experiencing hardship, and the major hardship were words that were being spoken against them. We heard the biggest lie as we were growing up, and it was that sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a lie. That is one of the greatest lies we ever told our kids. And I know why we told our kids that or whoever came up with that little nursery rhyme. I've never looked it up. One day I will. But ultimately, I'm pretty sure they came up with that because someone called somebody's mama a something and got punched in the face. And so they came home and said, listen, baby, sticks and stones will break your bones. Words will never. He didn't touch your mama. He just said something. This is my conclusion. Glory to God. But ultimately, what happens is we, we lie to our kids if we tell them that. Because obviously words hurt if it provoked them to act that way. And so sometimes the hardest hurts, and we talk about this in marriage, that, you know, you can punch someone in the face and, they may, and they'll get over that. But when you punch someone in the heart, it's a different scenario. You cause damage that sometimes is irreparable. You cause damage that sometimes it takes years and years. It'll take a couple of weeks for a bruise to go away on someone's face. But something that you do inside of someone's heart takes years and sometimes much counseling and different things in order to bring that person back to wholeness. And so ultimately... What we do realize is that God is speaking to us in these scriptures about how we deal with suffering. And in this, in this final portion of 1 Peter, what he does is he comes down and he brings it to the place of the church. And here's why. Because in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of moments that we are going through difficulty, it seemed to be a no-brainer that we would turn to Jesus. Amen? The fact of the matter is sometimes Christ is obscured because of bad examples of Christians. Because of bad examples of Christians in culture or because of bad examples or experiences that people have in the confines of the church. And so what happens is when people start hearing about, oh, you need to come to Jesus, they automatically correlate the two. Well, that means coming to church. And so I can't come to Jesus because I'm not going to go to church because I don't want to deal with those Jesus people. 
So what the apostle is, is trying to do here is he is communicating to the leadership about how they are supposed to act when they are going through suffering, when they are going through hardship. Because the church is supposed to God. Jesus Christ has desired for the church to comfort and support itself when we are going through trials. And what will happen is, is that will result in the unsaved seeing the love of God in action. When we are going through hardship and we are going through difficulty and we as brothers and sisters come alongside each other and support each other through these situations, through these situations and circumstances that are hurtful and that, you know, we're going through. When people start to see that the church cares and they're not Christian, then they begin to get a picture of Jesus and now we're able to evangelize them more effectively. Sadly, many people run from the church rather than to the church in their times of trouble because of these bad experiences. Because they see hardship or they see difficulty. And so Peter begins this exhortation to the elders or to the leadership. And the reason why that's important for us is because leadership plays a huge role in the overall health of the church, especially during times of hardship. The way that leadership deals with hardship, the way that leadership leads during difficult times is very important to the overall health of the church because if you have bad leadership, chances are you are going to have some messed up folks. If you have leadership that is not walking with Jesus through hardship and through difficulty, demonstrating the character of Christ, who are encouraging and exhorting the people the right way, you end up with some bad situations. And there's a reason why Peter is exhorting them, because obviously leaders are human beings as well who will fall short of the glory. Say they will fall short of the glory. There is no leader that I know, there is no leader that I, that, I, that I think that I will ever meet that is not going to fall short at some point. Doesn't mean that they're going to live in sin because that would be a problem. But it does mean that they are going to fall short and they are going to need the grace of God the same way that every other Christian does. Because can I say this? We are Christians just like you. We just have a different responsibility within the body of Christ. That is the only thing. But every one of us are flesh and blood, and we need Jesus just as much as anyone else. And so looking at leadership, the first thing that you will notice is that the word elders there is a plural word, not a singular word. And so when he is speaking to the elders, and I'll give you a little bit of history of Faith Dome of Fellowship. When we first started this church, we began this ministry, and there was one leader, and one pastor, should I say, and that was me. And mind you, I had youth pastored for three years and, you know, served Christ faithfully for, you know, eight years or something like that prior to, you know, starting this ministry. And so... When I'm, you know, coming, we start this ministry. Obviously, we don't have a whole bunch of people that are real mature in Jesus. We have some Christians that have been walking with the Lord, but not necessarily ready for eldership and things of that nature. And so in the beginning, we start off, you know, you have a, a leader, singular. And when I say singular, I mean title, because ultimately, you know, there are people like Pastor Robert, Pastor Aldo, the different people that are leaders today. They were there from the beginning, and it wasn't like I was all by myself. They've always been helping and serving, and so I don't want you to get the wrong picture. But as far as title or whatever, I was the only one. And what happened was we started this ministry and I had a friend of mine, his name is Harvest Ovias, and I worked with him. And he like really was up like into like really big time when we were, I was youth pastoring. He was really into the whole, you know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, the whole fivefold ministry. He was in the church government. And so I wanted to make sure that when we started this church, that we started this church correctly. What I mean is that we had a good structure for leadership and that it wasn't just something like the one that I came out of at the time, the church that I was going to. 
to, they went by a, a, a traditional Assemblies of God model. And the Assemblies of God model is this. For those of you that are not familiar, you have elders in the church that is like an elder board. And basically, they get together. They talk about business and all this stuff. They make the decisions of the church, right? And then what happens is you have the pastor who is called the senior pastor. And he's the one who, you know, leads the church in these different areas. But the elders sometimes, you know, go against him. And so it becomes a big political mess. And, you know, and then they do crazy stuff like they have meetings with the entire church and they bring up business and say, hey, can we vote on this? Because they know the church will support them and outvote the elders. Anyway, glory to God. I'm just letting you know that it was bad structure, okay? Bad structure because that's not biblical. And what happened was I saw that. Because as a pastor in the church, I got to sit in those meetings. Now, I will tell you this. They've changed their structure dramatically since, you know, I've, you know, since we started Faith Dome. And so their structure is different now as far as the whole elder board and things of that nature. But the fact was I realized that elders weren't supposed to just sit around and talk about business. There were some responsibilities for elders, and I wasn't totally sure about that because, listen, we're about to, next year we're going to celebrate 10 years of ministry, glory to God. And so 10 years ago, I've learned a lot in 10 years, glory to God. And so I sat down. That's a good thing because you have, you know, a leader who is learning, glory to God. You don't want a leader who doesn't learn, amen? You want someone who reads. You want someone who is into, you know, scripture and, you know, looking and learning about things from other men and, you know, people who have certain wisdom. And so anyway, we started off the church and my friend Harvest, he was there and he's breaking down all this stuff, you know, about eldership and, you know, and, and all these different things he's talking about. And so, you know, we were we were in a position for in, in like the first few months, like nobody knew what to call me. See, for those of you that were here in the beginning, this is what it was. They'd be like, okay, so I call you bishop, elder, overseer. They they were confused. There was just like confusion. And so for me, I just want, I was so worried, you know, and, and, and you know, I still fall into this category sometimes. I just want to make sure it's perfect, right? I want to make sure that I'm like by the T. And so I'm like, I'm struggling, but people are like, what do we call you? And I'm like, man, I don't know. You know, I felt like there had to be some level of respect. And so, so anyway, you know, we sit down, I sit down with Harvest and I'm like, listen, man, I need to know what these people need to call me. I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know. I was like, look, man, you're helping me with the establishment of this. What do they need to call me? So he's like, well, you have two options, right? And this is, this is the option he gives me. He's like, one option is they can just call you Jason. You just know that you're, you know, the leader of the church, and all the leaders would just be called by their first name. And I was like, I don't know, like today, I'm like, just call me Jason because all these titles, they just make me ill. But anyway, at that time, I was like, man, I don't know. I think there has to be a certain level of respect for leadership and so on and so forth. And so he said, and so then the other, you know, option I was like, yes. And let me see option two. They can call you bishop because that would be the correct title. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. Glory to God. Everybody I know is going to be tripping. And they were tripping. Glory to God. It was crazy. And so, you know, I'm just, I mean, mean, folks were like, you know, he thinks he's all that. I'm like, no, I don't. The Bible says he who desires the work of a bishop. Hello, somebody. It doesn't say he who desires the work of a pastor, right? It said that. So anyway, anyway. Right, I'll get over that for a moment. So, you know, we've, we, we're, we're fast forwarding a little bit, and I realized that I'm not supposed to be just, you know, singular by myself forever. So we start praying about elders, right? And, this, and, and I'm taking you through the transition so you can understand who Peter is addressing and what we believe here. And so we go through this. We have one night, you know, we're fasting and praying, and we come together, and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to go ahead and make someone an elder, glory to God, because I can't be an elder alone. So anyway, the first elder that I make was my wife. I was the first elder that I appointed as an elder in the church. First one, right? I love my wife. She is a wonderful woman of God. Can y'all say amen? amen? But she's not called to be an elder. 
Why? Because she's not a Christian? No, she's a wonderful woman of God, I just said. Because she, she's not mature enough in the faith? Absolutely, that has nothing to do with it. Because scripturally, that is not biblical. God, now, I know some of the ladies that have never heard me talk about this, you're getting offended right now. But listen, don't get offended. Because I'm not trying to offend you. I want to be a biblically sound church. So, mind you, this is years later. This is like two years ago that we really started digging into this whole topic in depth. But my wife was the first elder, and then I think Pastor Robert was the next elder, and then Pastor Aldo. It was something like that. I, don't, I really can't give you all of those details. They just kind of just became elders in the church. And we didn't call anybody elders because we're like a bunch of young people, like elders. Like, hey, um, Elder Bennett, how are you doing? Like, you know, that, that was like, you know, like his dad, yeah, Elder Bennett. We feel comfortable with that. But, you know, when young, anyway, y'all get the picture, right? So ultimately, you know, we, we go through these changes. A couple years ago, we start to dig into the scriptures, we start to dig into the scriptures, and I'm like, okay, and I ask questions. I let, I let y'all, and for those of you that remain with us and things like that, you'll see as time progresses, we'll do Bible studies, and I'll let you go on there and ask questions and answer questions, and that we can talk about those things, and it'll be anonymous so you don't feel embarrassed, like you can't answer a question, and, you know, people be, you know, picking on you. And so we went ahead, we asked, like, I think it was like, I don't know, like six questions or something like that regarding women in leadership and so on and so forth. And so we go through that whole thing, and then we begin to study the scriptures. And now here I'm going to tell you this. They're, they're really, if you're really going to be a biblical sound person when you study the Bible there are only two ways that you're going to de- that you're going to determine what elders should be as far as if they should be male or female and it's going to be one of two ways that you're going to determine this or th- there's actually three ways but there's only two that you could really read your Bible and get out of it the third way I don't know how they got that way I know y'all are like this is crazy that, that third the third way I'm going to tell you what it's called the technical term it is called an egalitarian position in other words it doesn't matter if you're male or female. You can be an elder in the church because that's just all, you know, way before, back in the day, some of the scriptures are outdated and whatever. Do you believe the scriptures are outdated? I hope not because you will be in the wrong church if you do. <laughs> but when you really read your Bible, you will find something. You will find something. And it is that there are really two ways that you could interpret the whole thing when it comes to women and, and leadership and things like that. And it is one position that is called a hierarchical position. And that position is straight up, women do not ever get in front of the church. Women can teach children and talk to other women. They never speak to a man. They can never communicate the word of God. So that would nullify some scriptures, don't you think? Because if the Bible said that there were like, Philip had, I think, like four daughters, and they were prophetesses, or they were prophesying at minimum, what would that mean? Were they like only prophesying to the women? No, they were prophesying. So that would nullify some things. That would say that there's some things that are incorrect. And so then there is the other position, which is a position that is called a complementarian position. And that position is that God has specifically given males and females different responsibilities, but males and females are equal image bearers of the glory of God. Can you get with that? And so in other words, what happens is we understand from scriptures that God calls men, say God calls men, to be elders in the church. God calls men to lead the church. And this is a sad reality. And I will say this with all, you know, humility. A lot of times women lead in the church because men will not get up. Listen now. A lot of times women lead in their homes. Because men will not get up. 
Because a man will not take the position of spiritual leadership. Therefore, God is not going to abandon that woman. That woman is seeking God's face, praying, crying out to God. And so someone has to lead the family. Now listen, I say this because that's the reason for the egalitarian position because of cowardly men. And when I say cowardly, you're like, I'm not a coward. I can throw down. I ain't asking you all that. It's easy to throw blows with somebody. That don't make you a man. But can you get up and fight the devil against your family? Can you get up and hear the voice of God and lead your family saying, I am hearing from the Lord and I appreciate all of your praying and all of your counsel, but I have been called to lead this family. Can you get up and rise up and be a man of character and of integrity and arise to the position and calling of leadership in the church? That's a man. It's not what we think, you know, we start looking at all of these different, um, you know, imitations of men. No. Spiritual leadership in the church, God is the head of the church. And, I, and we're going to deal with that in a moment here. Jesus is the senior pastor. Someone say amen. amen. I am not the senior pastor. Y'all didn't hear me. Bishop does not mean senior pastor because I will be getting in the way of the real senior pastor. And that is Jesus. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not belittling anyone who calls himself senior pastor because I think that most of those people understand the concept. But the point of the matter is, Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the one that is over all of the shepherd, over all of the sheep. He has ownership. But here is the point. The point is that Jesus is the head of every man and the man is the head of the woman. That is what the Bible teaches. And so if you're single, listen, you submit to Jesus. When you are ready to get married, I was counseling someone the other day, and they were telling me they're going to get married. I said, you know, things change now. And they were like, yeah. Like, you know, you got to follow, right? It's you you got to follow. You have to obey. You have to, you know, you have to submit. That's what happens when you get married, glory to God. It's a good thing that you pray and that you seek Jesus to make sure you marry the right one, because if you ain't following Jesus, you're going to have power struggles all the time. Hello? And so we see that this is the order. So that's how we end up. But here's the thing that we understood. And even now we're growing more in this area and learning more about elders because elders should be, must be, according to scripture, they must be plural. God did not call one man to be the sole voice within the church. Did you hear what I just said? You know what happens when you have one man who is the only voice in the church? It becomes a dictatorship. It becomes his way, his opinion, his whatever, his whatever. That is not what God has called. God, if, and, and look, and here's the thing. And see, I wish, and this is why I see, I wish that I would have, like, you know, been today and been able to go back in time. And, you know, I would have been like, Harvest, but what about this scripture and this scripture? And what about that? What about, and I would have went through all these scriptures. I'd have been like, dude, I said, do you see that bishop, elder, overseer, pastor, all of these words are, in, are used interchangeably in responsibility? And what they do is they show you a different aspect. When you look at the word elder, what the word elder is doing is it is talking about a mature character, you know, in a Christian, that's what it's talking about. It's not solely talking about an old man. Are you hearing me? It is talking about someone who is mature in the faith. So when you talk about being an elder in the church, it is someone who has proven character, someone who is growing, who is living out the gospel, who is growing in the grace of God. That's what an elder is. 
When you look at the, 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 the title bishop, it is talking about the general job responsibility. It is to oversee, and we'll talk about that word in a little bit more detail, but it is those type things. When you look at the word pastor, that deals with the actual function and what you are doing, and we'll deal with that word as well. But what happens is we miss those things. And so first of all, eldership must be plural, and we're growing in that. We are growing because a lot of times, you know, we, we're, we're trying to make sure we make these right decisions. And I realized something, that God has not given me all the wisdom in the world. Hello. God has brought men around me and women. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't minimize the women of God around us. We're talking about, you know, doing our, our small groups in the new year and growing in that area. And you know what? Some of the women in there came up with some tr tremendous insights that me, I would have been like, Psh, no, I'm not going to do that. And then I read in a book and they're saying the same thing she was saying. I was like, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus, you know, for the wisdom. <laughs> right? So that's why I don't have a hierarchical position. That's why we don't have that, because it's complementarian. We complement each other. Amen? And so, ultimately, it has to be more than one person, and that's who Peter is talking to. He is speaking to the elders of the church. There will be a first among equals, which that's what I am. So when you look at all of the elders in the church, which would be Pastor Chad, if you would stand up, please, to stand up, my brother. Pastor Robert and Pastor Alder, you guys would stand up for me. These are the elders. Give the Lord a hand of praise for the elders in this church. And so we are equal, and I'm the first among equals. You guys can be seated. So that means that I, I have been given a vision, but that doesn't mean that I do this by myself. Myself. Because what happens is you have to have accountability among elders. And I want you to know something. You all may, may think this. And I, and I know that sometimes people get this idea. You know, because I've known these brothers for a long time. Like Pastor Aldo, he was one of my youth leaders. Pastor Robert, my goodness, we've known each other longer than that. And so ultimately, you see these guys and you think they just yes me to death. Yes, whatever you want, Bishop. You're not a first among equals. You just have a bunch of yes men. Let me tell you something. I do not have a bunch of yes men around me. I wish I did sometimes, Lord. Glory to God. Because it would make my life much easier. Hallelujah. But you know what? It wouldn't make me better. It wouldn't make us as a church better. But because I have men who listen to the, to the Spirit of God, who read their Bibles, who pray for you, pray for me, pray for the decisions. And listen, they'll challenge on whatever they feel and, and the areas that they've been given. And so we're growing in this area because we have to have accountability and also the same responsibilities. We have to share all of the responsibility in what God has called us to do in the church. So that is what is supposed to happen. So new, found, new, new starting church, yeah, you know, church in its first year, it may not have, you know, elders and stuff like that that are established. But after that, look, there should be some people that are around there. And if you don't have them, you better go get them. Hello. Some people who are going to speak into your life and who are going to tell you, you need to slow down. This, this, this is not, you know, this is not correct. Some people who are going to question and make you think about stuff. Because even if you go in the direction where the question was, at least you studied it. At least you looked it over. At least you had a well-thought decision and you didn't just jump and do something. So he speaks to the elders and he encourages them. He tells them in verse, in verse 1, he says, to the, to the elders who are among you, I exhort you. And so he brings them an exhortation to motivate them. I who am a fellow elder. So the first thing he does is he identifies himself with these elders. He doesn't make himself higher than them. He's saying, I am a fellow elder with you. I am one of you. I know the trials. I know the hardship. I know the struggles. I know what it's like in order to lead the church, how I go through hardship, how I was almost killed. I was flogged because... Because of what? Because I was leading. I was an elder. He's like, I'm one of you guys. And then he goes on to say in the next, the next part of the, the verse, he said, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And so now he brings it home. He says, listen, I saw Jesus suffer as well. 
I saw Jesus go through the hardship. This is the motivation that this is not someone who's just talking out the side of his neck. This is someone who walked with Jesus, who was a fellow elder, and then he goes on to say, and a partaker of the future glory. See, Peter had something on these elders that none of them had, and none of them walked with Jesus for those years. But one of the biggest things that none of them had, none of them ever walked up to the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and experienced that glory and transforming moment that, G, that, that Peter had with Jesus. And so he's saying, listen, I have personally tasted and experienced on a deeper level the glory that is going to be revealed for all of us. He says that he's encouraging them that this is the way that you should be because of that glory. And then he says the first thing here, he says, shepherd the flock of God in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And verse 4, I'm just going to read the first part because that would be my second point. And when the chief shepherd appears, say this with me. Jesus is the chief shepherd who all elders should be, should be imitating. Jesus is the chief shepherd who all elders should be imitating. It is easy for us as leaders to become outwardly focused on preaching and teaching others and we forget that we are sheep as well. It's easy. I want you to know, if there is one thing that I would ask you to pray for me, I, you know, and I, and I know my brothers here, they covered your prayers as well, but I know for me, I can talk for me. One of the things that you need to pray for is that I don't ever forget that I'm a sheep before I'm a shepherd. Is that I remember that I am a disciple of Jesus before anything else. That I don't abandon my relationship with him to feed you. Did you hear me? That, that's an important prayer. Because if I abandon my relationship to feed you, you know what happens? I'm going to tell you this, and this is not to throw stones, but you see these leaders that are falling all over the place. You want to know what it is? They forget their disciples before their shepherds. They forget their sheep before their shepherds, and they are not spending time with the chief shepherd themselves. They are not being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ daily because they are able to articulate and speak well and rouse crowds and get people to come and hear them. And therefore, they learn all of those things and all the mechanics of public speaking, but they are not digging deep into the presence of Almighty God and being transformed. And so ultimately, we have to remember we we are sheep before we are shepherds. And the chief shepherd is going to appear one day. And he is going to communicate some things. But what Peter does is he exhorts and he encourages these elders to do some things. He gives them three things that they need to do. The first one is this. You could write it down or just remember this. He says to shepherd the flock of God. The second thing he tells them is he says to serve as overseers. And the third thing he tells them is to be examples to the flock. And so the first thing we want to look at is when he says in the beginning of verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. Whose flock is it? Let me ask it again. Whose flock is it? It is not my flock. It is not. And, and what, I, what, what I mean by that is I don't own you. We as the elders do not own you. Did you hear what I just said? This is so very important that we understand this concept. We are committed to each other because of Jesus. We are committed to each other because we have been washed in that blood and because we feel like this is the vision, this is the place where God has called us to serve. But we as earthly shepherds do not own the flock. The flock belongs to Jesus. 
When Peter is speaking this story, I want you to remember he had an encounter with Jesus after the resurrection in the book of John chapter 21. And Jesus asks him there, he says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I do. And he tells him, feed my sheep, right? He goes, he asks him again, do you love me? He says, feed my lambs. He says, do you love me? He says, you know, you, you know that I love you. And he goes and he tells him this thing. Well, what is he saying? He is using the same exact words here. And so what he is doing is he is bringing these shepherds back to that same place. When he heard Jesus tell him, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. Communicate unto the flock the word of God. When that word shepherd, what it means, it's the word point mean. It's the word that we get pastor from. And so what he's saying is he is telling them to feed or to tend the flock, to keep the sheep. This is what this word means, to feed, tend, keep. It also means to rule or to govern. And so what he is saying is, he is saying, lead my sheep. Lead the sheep that God has entrusted you with. Lead them. Lead them to the right places. Protect them. Sometimes, here, let, 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 me, let, let me help you to understand this. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is to protect sheep. I was one of those sheep, right? I want to I do my own thing, right? I want to I do things my way. And I learned, glory to God, after a few, you know, ministry moments of deliverance, glory to God, that it's not my way, that my way wasn't always right. I learned, I, you know, I've, I've shared some stories with you, and because of the length of the introduction, I will not go into those. But ultimately, we have to shepherd, leading our people, leading the people of God, where? Into the will of God into the word of God, teaching them, giving them, feeding them. Sometimes that means sitting down and counseling with them, recognizing. When you look at the way that the shepherds worked, back in those days, those shepherds, they would lead their sheep. And I'm talking about natural shepherds because God is giving us the same picture. Natural shepherds, they wouldn't walk behind the sheep. They would walk in front of the sheep. And they would, they would look and make sure that there were no snakes, that there was no poisonous stuff on the ground. They would, they, would, they would scout the area, and then they would say, you know what, this is good ground. This is good ground. This is a good place for us to come and for us to eat at. This is a good place for you to do that. Then at the nighttime, he would check every single one of those sheep. And he would look at all those sheep to make sure that they didn't get infected, that they weren't getting eaten up by insects, that they didn't have any cuts or anything. And if they did, that's what the scripture talks about. He anoints my head with oil. That's what the shepherd used to do with the sheep. Anoint his head with oil to make sure that if there was any areas that were hurting that the sheep would be able to move forward and the sheep wouldn't become overwhelmed or hurt because of whatever may have happened throughout your day, throughout your week, whatever the case is. And so the shepherd is a big job. It's not an easy job to, because you're, again, Jesus is Savior. You're not Savior. Amen? And so shepherds need to lead the flock like that. Then he says the second thing. He says serve as overseers. Serving as overseers. So the word overseer is where we get that word episcopos, where we get the word bishop. And it means to look upon, to inspect, to oversee, to look after, to care for. Of the care of the church which rested upon the elders, obviously it's a responsibility of the elders to look carefully or to beware. So it means to look upon, to look at your life. You know what we don't want to do? We don't want anybody, and, I, and I'm talking to you sincerely. A lot of times, we as Christians, we don't want the pastors to know anything that's going on with our lives. We don't want them to know what's going on with us because, you know, man, you know, we, 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 we just want to make, keep them thinking that we're walking right. Listen, we need to be involved. That means invite us to your house, glory.
That means invite us over, glory to God. Let us come and sit down with you. Let us, let us commune with you, glory to God. Hallelujah. Right? So that way we can get to know you and you can get to know us. Listen, I have been, I, I, I tell you this sincerely, it's not always a negative. Sometimes it's just a positive. It's for encouragement. I've had people come to my house that were leaders, and I don't say this to be boastful, but, you know, I live in my house. You know, we do what we do in our home. And I've had people that I consider to be true men and women of God, and they come into my home, and they're not trying to be over-spiritual. They're like, man, we just sense the peace of God in this home. And that's just encouraging stuff. They get into conversation with us. And then there's other moments where it ain't so peaceful. Hello, somebody. And I need someone to say, hey, listen, you're disrupting the peace, glory to God. Why don't you chill out with that, right? I need someone to speak that into my life. And, and, and what happens is sometimes we don't want to have that. But you know what the job of the So listen, when we decide to come and talk to you or we just invite ourselves, because right now I'm releasing the elders in the church to go on ahead and invite yourself. I want you to pick someone, and I want you to just invite yourself to their house. But like Bishop said, I have to oversee. And so I'm inviting myself over. You just tell me the date I need to be there, glory to God. And that way we can start developing and helping you. You grow by doing what? By looking into your life, by talking, having real accountability, and developing relationship. So that way you're not pulling the wool, hello? Right? Your sheep. You're not pulling the wool over someone's eyes. Making someone think you got it all together when you don't. And can I say something to liberate you? Because you're going to be like, I got to go home and clean because they're going to come over. <laughs> Listen, ain't none of us got it all together, man. We are all a work in progress. Every one of us, including your elders. Hello. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> Listen, we're supposed to oversee. So we shepherd, we lead, we protect. We have, we have rule. When it talks about rule, it's having authority. We have authority in the church, right? We have authority to lead in the church. We have authority to make decisions. The last portion that he says here, and we'll jump down to that because I'm going to deal with these three things that we shouldn't do. But he goes on and he says, being examples in verse 3, he says, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. He says to be examples. So the three things that they're supposed to do, one is shepherd the flock, number two is serve as overseers, and number three, be examples to the flock. The word be example, when, when you look at that word example, it means to mark the, the mark of a stroke or blow, to print. It is a figure formed by a blow or impression. It is an example. In the technical sense, it is the pattern in conformity to which a thing must be made. An example to be imitated of men worthy of imitation. So now let me get to the, get, get to the first part of this definition. The mark of a stroke or blow. So when I'm reading this definition, what I'm getting the picture of is I'm seeing some of you, this is, you know, some of y'all have never even seen a typewriter, okay? But for the rest of us that have seen a typewriter, right, some of y'all are like, what is a typewriter? I don't, I don't get that. You guys, you know, you have your little keyboards. When I was in ninth grade, right, they, they had a class. It was called typewriting, not keyboard. Hello, whatever. So we learned how to type. I, I learned for like a week, and I was like, I've learned enough typing. But anyway, ultimately... When you, when you use a typewriter, a typewriter's different. See, you, you, you know, for those of you that are younger, right, you're used to the computer, you just backspace and all that stuff. Typing was a totally different scenario. But here's what happened. When you click go, you know, now you're going to go home and think about this or go find a typewriter. Go to, go to like a thrift shop or something like that. They'll probably have one there because someone's like, hey, you know, you guys could use this. For what? I have no idea. But anyway, go and hit a typewriter. 
And what happens is those little, you know, arms that come up with the letters, they were hard. And they used to hit the paper hard. Boom, because they were doing what? They were imprinting on the paper. And so they were leaving a mark on the paper. And what happens is, as Christians, as leaders, here's what we got to get, is that we cannot be examples unto the flock until our lives have been imprinted by the master. We cannot be examples to the flock if we are not continuously being imprinted, being hit with blows and not negative blows. Listen, when you encounter the glory of God, when you encounter the revelation of the gospel in the word, you know what happens? Those are blows to your soul that are changing your life and you lead out of that, not by just the knowledge in your head. Listen, we as leaders, that is how we lead. The best leaders are going to be the ones that have been impacted the most by Jesus. And let me say this, not impacted once, but continuously impacted. Continuously seeking him. Because if we're going to be men that are worthy to be imitated, then we need to be transformed by the one who we're supposed to be imitating. We need to be changed by Jesus. He gives the elders those words, those three things he said you're supposed to do. And then he goes on to say that they should not do these things. And if you haven't figured this out yet, listen, y'all, I'm going to give you a lot of definitions today, glory to God. A lot of technical stuff, so don't stop thinking at any point during this message. Amen? I know some of y'all disengage. You have moments where you just like kind of, you know, just phase off because that's like your 15 minutes of like, you know, focus. And then you have like five minutes over here and then you come back, you're going to get lost. Glory to God. So today we have no room for ADD. Amen. Glory to God. (laughs) Praise the name of Jesus. So the first thing he says, he tells them those three things. But then he goes on and he says that they are supposed to serve as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, nor as being lords over those entrusted to them. So the three things that he says that they are not supposed to do is, number one, they're not supposed to serve out of compulsion. Number two, they're not supposed to serve for dishonest gain. And number three, they are not to serve as being lords over those who have been entrusted to them. And so the first one we deal with is when he talks about compulsion he says not to serve out of compulsion we have the same word in the book of second corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 where it says that we should not give out of compulsion we should not give because we have to and what he is saying here is he is saying that we should not be leading because we have to but because we are willing to See, a lot of people, they, are, they lead by compulsion. They lead because, you know, my great-great-grandfather, he was a preacher. My great-grandfather was a preacher. My grandfather was a preacher. My daddy was a preacher, so I got to be a preacher. Believe me, there are people that preaching is a profession, not a passion. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, preaching is not a profession. If you are not passionate about preaching, get out of the pulpit. Period. Period. You shouldn't be up there if you're not passionate. And so don't serve out of compulsion. Don't serve because you have to. And what it is, it means don't serve out of obligation. The warning here is that if you are serving out of obligation, there is a potential that you will be lazy. Be lazy as a leader. You're not doing anything. (laughs) Glory to God. Be lazy as a leader. But he says that the word, but willingly, look what it means. It means voluntarily. It means willingly. It means of one's own accord. It means purposefully. It means deliberately. It means intentionally. 
And so when we serve, and, and, and I say this because we have four elders right now. As Faith Dome grows, there will be much room for other elders to grow up and those to start churches and those to be able to assist in other ministries. And so here's the thing, is that we should all be striving toward this. So we should serve Jesus. This applies to everyone. Not, 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 not out of obligation, not out of compulsion, but because your heart is willing and you are intentional about what God has called you to do. The second warning that he gives, first is compulsion. The second one is don't serve for dishonest gain. Don't serve, and it means to be eager for base gain. One of the biggest things that happens nowadays in, in, in the church that I, that I hear plenty of people, and you hear, I mean, you, you have heard this for years. I don't want to go to church because all they want is your money. There's a reason for that. It's because in some cases, in some cases, not all, in some cases, we have become more focused on the money than we have on the people. We have become more focused. Listen, one of the things that I, that, that, and let me tell you this right now, this is absolutely 100% unbiblical, and this is the ultimate warning for you. Listen, someone comes and tells you, send me $100 and I'll give you a prophetic word. Or, or, or you're in a service, you know, because that could happen in a service, right? If, if it ever happens here, you need to, like, lay hands on me, glory to God. <laughs> Listen, that's something, there, 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 was, there was a powerful man of God, and when, when, when I, way before we started Faith Dome, this man of God, he was, I mean, he was a powerful prophet. I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm not kidding. This guy be, like, reading your mail, and what I mean by read your mail, for those of you that don't understand that, he'd be, like, calling you out, be, like, telling you everything, what's, what underwear in your drawer, I mean, that type stuff. I mean, he's just all up in your business, right? That's this kind of guy. Your name, zip code, I mean, he's all up in there, giving you prophetic words, telling you all this kind of stuff. And after a few years, something happened to him. He continued to be as accurate in prophecy, but suddenly he began to start to charge people for prophetic words. He began to start saying, you know, if you give this, I, wait a second. Now, now, now you pay for prophetic words? Now you pay for healing? You pay for, listen, don't listen to any of that garbage because that is not God. Amen. And let me tell you, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to give you a scriptural reference because I'm going to tell you where they get this stuff from. You go to the Old Testament, you remember a guy by the name of Saul. He was the first king of Israel. You remember him, right? For those of you who don't remember him, I'll give you a little background on him. He was the first king of Israel. So anyway, moving on. <laughs> so Saul, okay, Saul, Saul, the way that he became king, the way that this all transpired was his daddy lost some donkeys. And so he was out with the servants trying to find these donkeys. He was, you know, trying to find them, and he couldn't find them. And so his servant that was with him was like, hey, man, why don't we go to the prophet so he could tell us where our donkeys are at, right? We asked the prophet, hey, where are the, where are the donkeys, right? That's crazy. The, so the servant, or I don't remember who it was because I, I didn't go back and read the story, but one of them says, but what are we going to bring to the man of God? We can't just go to him empty-handed, Right? So they're like, well, we have this. So they went over there. They went to, you know, they went to Samuel, the prophet. They give him their gift, right? This is where the book of Proverbs comes into play, where the Bible says that your gift will bring you before great people, right? That's what the scripture says. It's giving you a picture that it was a tradition for you to bring a gift to someone who was of honor, of authority, of position. Are you hearing me? And so what happens is they're coming to this man of God to ask him about this. They're bringing something. And so what will happen is we will, we will contextualize this and say, well, you know what? It's okay for me to say you got to bring me money because they brought it to Samuel. You are not Samuel. <laughs> you are not Samuel. 
And can you just give me one example of a New Testament prophet that they did that to? If you can do that for me, we can talk all day. If not, you're not Samuel, so have a seat. Right? So he says, not to be eager for base gain. The second point is, don't do this just for the paycheck. That's what he's saying. Don't do this just for the paycheck because you didn't go to school, so now you're going to come preach the word. I know I just said that was so horrible, right? That was bad. Anyway, it happens. You, 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 you don't want to break your back anymore working wherever. So I'm going to just preach because that's a lot easier. Really? Preaching. Listen, do you know how worn out I am after I'm finished preaching? Glory to God. I'll be sitting. I'm not lying. When I go and hang out with someone at around 430, I start to feel myself. I'm like fighting to keep my eyes open because, I mean, I'm done. I'm like, oh, I mean, seriously. But what I'm saying is this, is that preaching is not easy. If it is easy, you need to stop preaching. Listen, if it is easy, you need to stop doing it. Get on your face, let God change you, and start to carry the weight and the fear of the Lord before you get up in front of people. Don't do it for a paycheck. Do not do it for a paycheck alone. Amen? The third thing he says, I love this. Do not do it as being lords over those who have been entrusted to you. In other words, he's telling them, he's saying, don't be over there being overbearing, trying to control everyone through domination, through intimidation, through manipulation. You know what that's all called? Witchcraft. When you, listen, I'm going to say this. I, I say this sincerely. We believe, say this with me. We believe. The Bible teaches, and Bishop will get to it. Submission is a biblical principle. Listen, submission is a biblical principle. Submission in marriage, submission to leadership in the church, submission to government authorities, all of those things we've talked about. We'll deal with it a little bit more when I wrap this up. But here is the point. The point is that we don't walk around and look, and, 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 I, and I know this, we don't walk around always pulling a submission card. Submit, submit, submit. If I got to tell you to submit all the time, there's a problem with my leadership. Listen, if you as a husband are always telling your wife, submit, 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 there's a problem with your leadership. It's not just a problem with your wife. She may be rebellious. I don't know. But here, here, here here's the thing. If it is always you just call, you, you got to submit, just submit, submit. There's a problem there. There is an issue. And this is what he's saying. He's saying not always making people submit to you. That's what he is saying here. Literally, the word means to bring under one's power, to subject oneself, to subdue or to master, to hold in subjugation, to be master of, to exercise, to exercise lordship over. Who is the chief shepherd? Jesus, not me. Jesus is the Lord of the sheep. He is the chief shepherd. And so when we look at scripture, we're not supposed to be doing it. We're, we're, this, this is what he says. Now notice what he ties in. I already talked about the example thing, right? But here's the point. He says, not as being lords over those who have been entrusted to you. So we need to understand that there is a fact that you, if you're here and this is your church, you have been entrusted to the eldership of Faith Dome for us to lead you, and we have a responsibility one to the other. That's very important for you to get. 
But he goes on to say the next thing, not as being lords over those who have been entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. When an elder, when the leadership is acting as an example to the flock, I don't have to call you to submission because if you love Jesus, you want to follow someone else who's following Jesus. That's what happens. It's automatic. It's the same thing in your marriage. You don't have to tell your wife to submit. When she sees Jesus all over you, if she loves Jesus, guess what she's going to do? Follow. Now, ladies, let me just say this in context. That doesn't mean that if you don't see Jesus all over him, be like, well, Bishop said I got to see Jesus all over you. That is not what I said. That is not what I said. Because there are going to be moments that you are going to see no Jesus. There are plenty of moments all my wife has sees is Jason, Jason, Jason. Glory to God. And she still has to submit, submit, submit. But I don't tell her that. You can ask her. She's sitting right there. She will submit and she will walk as a godly woman because she's responsible to do that. But here's the thing that I understand. When I'm following Jesus, it's much easier for her to follow me. It goes the same thing in the church. As we as elders, as we as leaders follow Jesus, people want to follow us. Because they love Jesus and they're seeing him in us. And so we don't need to be, you know, making people, manipulating people, dominating or intimidating people to make them submit. That's not biblical. Peter rebukes that. Second thing, repeat this after me. Say, shepherds should be living for the appearing of the chief shepherd. Both shepherds and sheep will give an account and be rewarded or not by Jesus. The only reason a shepherd will fail to obey the call is when they lose sight of who is coming. The only reason why a shepherd, why an elder will will stop doing what they are called to do, will stop walking in obedience, is because of the parable that Jesus gave. And I can't quote you exactly where it was, but he talks about servants, and and he talks about one that goes away, and he says, you know, if these servants knew when, or, or when these, like, you know, masters knew when their master was coming back, they wouldn't be beating their people. But they start beating them because they forget he's coming back. They forget he could walk up on them at any moment. Yeah, yeah, glory to God. I mean, think about Jesus could walk up on you at any moment. Like, what's up? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. But what happens is they lose sight. We lose sight. And I say they, but I mean we. It is a daily thing to continue to focus on Jesus. It is a daily thing when, you know, you get bothered, you get hurt. Remember, this is a suffering people. They're going through hardship. And as they're going through hardship, it's hard when you're going through difficulty and then you're having issues in, inside the church and then you start treating people wrong, right? Because you don't want to deal with them. You forget. You stop praying. Stop seeking God the way that you should. And so we're supposed to be looking to the coming of this chief shepherd. Here's the issue. He goes on to say this. He says, when the chief shepherd, verse 4, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. When the chief shepherd appears, so we're looking for his appearance, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Here's the fact. The fact is, too many shepherds in this earth have decided that they want to be crowned now with, with fading crowns, which begs the question, will they be crowned or will they be ashamed on judgment day? 
Because we decide we want our own crowns. We want to have everything now. And listen, I want you to know this. I say this sincerely. There are plenty of great shepherds, have huge churches, you know, drive nice cars, live in nice houses. That's not their crown because they are doing what they're doing for the glory and for the honor of God. And they're serving the church the way that God has called them to do that. So that is not what I'm saying. But it is when you want to take all of your glory now, that is when you are worried about your crowns today. When you are worried about getting everything today, you have nothing to look forward to. I want to make sure that I have a lot to look forward to when I go to heaven. Amen? And so this is what he's saying. You can have a fading crown, which is now you can get glory and accolades here in this earth, or you can look forward to the ones that are coming in glory. The third thing, say this with me, a submissive attitude reflects the humility we are to be clothed in. So let's look at verse 5 because this is where we'll get ready to wrap it up. He says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of, all, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. When he's talking about the younger people here, he is obviously specifically speaking about people who are youthful, people who are immature in the faith, people who are young Christians. He's talking to them directly. But indirectly, he can, he's speaking to the entire church. If you are not called to be an elder, then you're supposed to do what? Submit to your elders. You are supposed to walk in submission. Remember that word submission? There's the, there's the military term of it, and then there's the other, the other term of this. And so what happens is we are supposed to walk, get in line with God's will. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's appointed elders in the church to lead and to help you grow. And so what is supposed to happen? What is supposed to happen is that we are supposed to lead faithfully, following the chief shepherd, to lead to what? To lead to advancing the gospel, to lead to advancing the kingdom, to lead to leading people to Jesus and showing you how to do those things. That's what we're called to be doing. And so he says that we are supposed to do that, that we are supposed to follow Christ, and, and, and in this relationship, there is supposed to be a submission. And so if you're not an elder in the church, you're a Christian, you're part of the body of Christ, you are called to serve Jesus and submit to your leaders. Can you say amen to that? And so we're supposed to do that. He goes on to say this, though. He says, and, 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 and he says, yes, all of you say all of you. Be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. He says everyone in the church is supposed to be submissive one to the other. And so what that means is it means that we are all to have an attitude of submission for mutual accountability, mutual instruction, and overall growth. And so in your marriage, and I, and I use my marriage, I don't, I, my, my wife does not solely submit to me. There are moments that I submit to her in leadership. What do you mean, Bishop? Is that out of order? Absolutely not. My wife is the one who does our budget. Amen? And so I can't just decide, well, you know, you're going to submit to me in the budget because we end up in a bad situation. Because I don't know what's going on in the budget. I, don't, I trust her. She is better in that area than I am. So you know what I do? I'm like, do I have a little leave, you know, leave way here, glory to God? Can I use some? And I have the conversation. And so in that, I submit to her. I'm not like, well, you know, we need to figure out a way so I can do that. Wait a second. We learn and we grow together in marriage. We learn. We have relationship. It's the same thing in the church. I gave you the example. We're in our leaders meeting and someone who is not an elder in the church, who is a woman in the church, and she decides to bring up a point. And you know what? I'm sitting in the meeting and I'm like, okay, you know, in the meeting, I'm like, I don't necessarily agree with that. Later on, I come to realize it was wisdom from God. But if I have an unsubmitted attitude, if I don't have a humble heart, I can't learn from anybody else. And let me say something. 
When I first became a Christian, I had a lot of stuff to work on in my life. I mean, that's God, God knows I still got a lot to work on. But the point is I have a little bit less to work on today than I did, you know, some 15, 16 years ago. But here is the, here is the thing. In spite of all of those things that I had to work on, there was a lot that God was doing in my heart. There was a lot of stuff that God was pouring into my life. There was a lot of stuff that people that were older than me in Christ were learning from me. Why? Because God was working in me. And so the point is, if someone is arrogant and proud and doesn't have this heart that is clothed with humility that we're going to deal with that, then you know what happens? We don't learn from each other. We don't grow together. No one can ever come and ask a question. Listen, can I tell you something? And this is sincerely from the, from the depth of my heart. I know that sometimes because of position or because of whatever, people get intimidated and they don't want to come and talk to me or have conversations. But can I tell you something? Don't, don't let the title, don't let any of that stuff intimidate you. I want to hear from you. What do you mean, Bishop? Even if you're going to tell me something I don't want to hear, I still want to hear it. You have a question about something, ask the question. The point is, we have to have this heart of humility. We have to have this heart that we're able to work together. He says to be clothed in humility. What does that word clothed mean? The word clothed, and, and, and again, Peter is bringing these, these disciples back or, or these elders to the place of the Last Supper where Jesus goes and he washes the feet of the disciples. And what he's doing is he's showing us a great application of what Jesus meant when he said, do this one to the other. Because this word here is the word clothed, and it means to knot or band, a knot or a band by which two things are fastened together. It means to fasten or gird oneself. And the, and the definition of what this is, it says, this was the white scarf or apron of slaves, which was fastened to the belt of the vest and distinguished slaves from free men. And that's what 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 where it says, gird yourselves with humility as your servile garb. Meaning to putting mean, means by putting on humility, show your subjection to one another. This also refers to the overalls which slaves wore to keep clean while working, an exceedingly humble garment. And so what he's saying is, there's people who walk and they have their own opinions, their own way of doing things, the way that they're going to live. And then there are those who are slaves. There are those who are servants. And we as Christians, we are servants by choice. Say by choice. We have chosen to serve Jesus in response to his offer of salvation. We have chosen to walk with him and we, and we choose that we are going to be his servants. And so as his servants, we have to make a decision. Are we going to be marked by something called humility or are we going to be marked by something else called arrogance and pride? Are we going to be clothed like Jesus was and are we going to serve from the depth of our hearts even when it doesn't feel good, even when we don't necessarily agree with everyone else? Are we going to serve the way that we are called to serve? These are the questions that we have to ask ourselves. Because he says that we are supposed to be clothed in this humility. Our relationships, we know, must be bound by love for one another. But our lives must be blanketed in humility for our relationships and our reflection of Christ to be consistent. He says something that's really powerful. He said that God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. That means leaders, not leaders. Doesn't matter. Christians, all Christians, no matter what your position is within the body of Christ, he resists you if you are proud. He gives you grace if you are humble. This is what he says. If you acknowledge who he is, 
When you look at the word proud, it means this. It means shows oneself above others. It means overtopping, conspicuous above others, preeminent, with an overweening estimate of one's means or merits, despising others or even, or, or even treating them with contempt or being haughty. So when you look at yourself and you're like, man, I got it all together. You know, I got all of this stuff. You look at yourself, you, you find yourself looking at other people and being like, man, you've been a Christian for so long, I can't believe you're still dealing with that same sin. I can't believe you're still dealing with that same issue. When you start being like that, you become a haughty person. You become an arrogant person. You are demonstrating the true condition of your heart. And you know what it says? The scripture says God resists you. And you know that word resist is not a really good word. It means God is your opponent. I don't know if you can pick, you know, if you can pick a fight with someone, you don't want to pick one with God. You know, if you, if you like stand in a ring and you're like, okay, you get to pick the guy, you're going to pick the guy that you at least think you could beat or it's going to be a fair fight, right? If you have like, you know, six guys and all of them are bigger than you and they, you know, whatever, you're going to pick the one that's close. That's what you're going to do. You, you are picking a fight with God when you want to be prideful, when you want to be arrogant, when you want to be haughty. And he says the word humility, he says, but to the humble, he gives this grace. And so what does this word humble mean? It means to have a humble opinion of oneself. It means a deep sense of one's moral littleness. It means modesty, humility, lowliness of mind. And so having a humble opinion of oneself, not to see yourself any higher than what you are, not to think that because maybe you've arrived and maybe you have some achievements that other people don't, that doesn't make you better than anybody else. It's understanding that you are not all that just because you know how to budget and they don't. Mm-hmm. It all looks the same on paper, but they don't stick to it. I do, right? So you're better. No, you're not. You've been given some grace in that area. That's all that it is. That's, that, that, that's the way that this works. You know, oh, well, you know, I'm better than them because, you know, my kids, they, 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 they sit right next to me when I'm in church and they don't move, right? <laughs> Glory to God. Right? Hold on a second. We're supposed to have a humble opinion of ourselves. I say this all the time, man. And, and, and I, this, this is not to excuse anyone, but me and my wife always say this. We were seriously, seriously blessed with our daughter, glory to God. Because our daughter just had a certain temperament, praise the name of Jesus. She didn't need a lot of, you know, beat downs, glory to God. She was good with a threat. She'd like, okay, that's good. She'd start crying. She'd see a belt. She's running. Ah, glory to God. I'm serious. But here's the point. That's God's grace. It's not, not because I'm such a great parent. Hello. Listen, the point of the matter is I understand that all of this is by the grace of God. That's how you maintain that right opinion of yourself. That is how you maintain. To, to understand, your, to have a deep sense of one's moral littleness. Listen, we don't have to constantly like every day rub our sin in our face. That is not healthy. Hello, somebody. Glory <laughs> But you know what we do need to do? We do need to remember, man, no matter how righteous I think I am, my righteousness is nothing compared to his. I need to have a continual understanding that I am not good all by my little self. Hello. I don't have it all together just because I said yes to Jesus, now I'm okay. Hold on a second. I'm okay because of him every day. That's what we need to do in order to maintain the right level of humility. It is to understand when I look at the cross, see, when I look at the cross, I'm reminded of my sin because Jesus didn't, I, I put him on that cross. My sin put him on that cross. 
And even as I die to sin, those sins that are still alive in me that are little sins in comparison to their sins, those little sins, put them on the cross. Did you hear that? It is understanding that I am by nature sinful. It is understanding that it is because of his grace that I'm saved today. But that's how you walk in humility. Understanding, man, I, it's not because of me. And so ultimately, and, I, and I, I said I was closing, and now I will close with this and we will pray. God gives grace to the humble, whether to a leader or not, and he is opposed to the proud. So which side of that line are you on? Are you on the humble side, walking with his grace? Or are you on the proud side, doing it on your own? Proud doesn't mean that you're walking around, you know, like you're all that. Like, you know, you, you may not feel you're prideful. That can be a sign that you're prideful. I'm a humble guy, yeah. Yeah. You're humble, all right. Listen, you may not feel like you're prideful, but you may have that, and you're doing it on your own. Like, you don't need Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're all going to stand to our feet. We're going to bow our heads for a moment. And I'm going to say this. I have decided something. I, I just, I want to, I want to always give opportunity for people to be ministered to. And normally, I just pray a general prayer. But the worship team is going to come up here and we're going to sing. And this is what I've decided to do after praying and meditating on this. I just, we're going to sing a song. And as we sing in worship, I want you to know that this altar is open. I'm not going to call you to the altar. I'm going to let God do what he's going to do in your heart. And during the time as we worship God, the only thing that I'm going to ask is that the pastors are going to come forward and they're going to face the congregation. And they'll be here as a as an example. And the, the other people who um, work, um, not as an example, they're going to be here as an extension. And that way, if you come to the front, someone is going to pray with you. Someone is going to pray for you. We want to pray. You may have heard something in this message that really stuck in your heart that you really need to deal with God on. And you need someone to pray with you. Or you just want to come up here and let God deal with your heart. That's what I want you to do. You may have not heard anything in this message that dealt with you, but you still need someone to pray for you. We want you to come to the front if you want that. While we sing, while we worship, while we exalt Jesus. This is your opportunity. And you may need to give your life to Christ. You may need to. And when I say that, I say that fearfully because it's tough to do. But you may need to put your faith in Jesus. You may not know Jesus. You may not be walking with him. And he calls you to turn from your sin and to turn unto him. And so the altar is open for you to do anything that you need to do with your God and to just simply seek his face. And so I ask the pastors to come forward, face the congregation, and I ask you to worship. And if you need prayer this morning, and I also ask the ministers also, they can come forward. And anybody else who works in the altar ministry, they're here so we can pray for you. And let us just begin to worship. Father, we love you and we honor you. And I'm going to pray and then we'll just sing how great thou art. Father, we love you with all of our hearts. And with all of our souls, Lord God. And Father, today I just, I come before you with a humble heart. Father, for my brothers and my sisters, Lord, I thank you for the calling that there is upon our lives, Lord God. Lord, to be ministers, Lord, who lead by example. To be ministers who serve you faithfully, my God. Father, I pray in the almighty name of Jesus that you would saturate us in your presence and power, God.
Father, that you would transform us and as leaders, Lord, that we would arise to the call and to the mandate upon our lives, Lord God, to lead your people well. And Father, and I pray for those souls that are in this place today that may be going through hardship, may be going through difficulty, and God, they need a special touch from you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill them even now, Lord God. I pray for the ones that may not know you, God, that may not be walking with you. Holy Spirit, may you draw them unto you and grant them repentance to turn unto you away from sin, my God. Father, we thank you today give you all glory and all honor. Let us worship him. Hallelujah, God. You are worthy. The splendor of the King of the majesty Let all the earth rejoice.